prayer, and we will continue in our study of the spiritual disciplines. Father, as we come before you this morning, again, we are thankful that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We're thankful that your Son has come forth, born of a virgin, partaking of our nature, fully God, fully man, that he might reconcile God and man together again. We're thankful for his sinless life, which fulfilled the moral demands of the law, We're thankful for His substitutionary death which satisfied the penal requirement of the law that He would pay the penalty for us, die in our place, appease and satisfy Your justice, and purchase everlasting righteousness and forgiveness for us. So thank You for this great gift, Lord, of the Gospel. Thank You for the local church. Thank You for the people of God that You've redeemed and called out of darkness into Your marvelous light. And now as we come together before you and before your word, it is our desire that the Spirit of God would open our minds and our hearts and our eyes to the truth, that your glory would radiate forth, that we would grow in our love for Jesus, and our lives would be made more to reflect Him. And we pray these things for His glory. Amen. You're late. All right, we're going to pick up in our study of the spiritual disciplines, and we're moving along to the fifth discipline now. We started looking at this two weeks ago. We'll pick up with it this morning, and that is the discipline of discipleship, or you could call it discipling. So far, we've looked at four disciplines. Does anybody remember them? What are the four spiritual disciplines that we've considered so far? Some of these are very easy. Come on. Prayer. Prayer. Bible intake. I only taught on these for like six weeks at a time. Go on now. Prayer, Bible intake, evangelism, and one more. Starts with a W. Worship, right? So now we've come this morning to the fifth discipline, and that is discipleship. And uh, we started looking at this last week, and uh, we'll hopefully finish it up this week. And then next week we'll look at the sixth and final discipline, and that is uh, Christian learning. So if all goes according to plan, which it never does, uh, we'll be finished with this study next week, and it'll have taken us, what, nine months or so to, to work uh, through this, this uh, lesson on the spiritual disciplines. But uh, more than likely, it won't go according to plan. So, you know, plan well, for another... it goes according to plan, just not your plan. That's true. According to God's sovereign plan, just not my finite plan. All right, so uh, four things I told you last week or two weeks ago that I want to do in this lesson. Four things. Number one, I want to consider and answer several questions about discipleship. Number two, I want to make some additional and miscellaneous comments regarding discipleship. Number three, I want to present to you a practical discipleship plan for our church that I'm coming up with. And then number four, I want to suggest some helpful resources for discipleship. Uh, So we'll begin by uh, recapping what we looked at last week. And that is some questions that I want to consider and answer about discipleship. Now, the first question we looked at last week is this, what is discipleship? What is discipleship? What is, does anyone remember what we kind of what the definition we came up with last week? What is discipleship? You weren't here last week. Or two weeks, sorry, two weeks ago. You weren't here two weeks ago. <clears throat> what is I don't remember the definition. Teaching other Christians. Involves teaching other Christians, okay? That's a part of discipleship. What else? Entering into a relationship with other Christians that they can grow Amen. in the faith and that you can have basically iron sharpens iron. And yes. That they basically 
if you can keep each other accountable. Amen. Very good definition. A relationship we enter into with other Christians to help each other follow after Jesus, right? So the word discipleship uh, comes from the Greek word mathetuo, and the word disciple, mathetes, and it's where we get the English word mathematics from. So a disciple is a student, a learner, a follower, a pupil. Uh, A discipleship, then, would involve two different things. It would involve our own discipleship, our own becoming a disciple and following after Jesus, but it also encompasses making disciples, helping others follow after Jesus. I read to you several definitions uh, and quotes last week to help us get a clear view of this. One was by a man named Greg Ogden. Uh, I don't really recommend you read much of what he wrote, so don't take this quote as like a full endorsement of him, but this was a good definition. Discipling is an intentional relationship in which we walk alongside other disciples in order to encourage, equip, and challenge one another in love to grow toward maturity in Christ. This includes, very important, this includes equipping the disciple to teach others as well. Right? So we build a relationship, we come alongside of other Christians, we're helping each other follow Christ, and with the purpose of training and equipping one another to make disciples, teach others as well. Uh, to paraphrase Mark Dever, discipling is doing spiritual good to others and helping others follow Christ. Okay, so very simple. It's our following after Christ and our helping others follow after Christ. We looked at several passages, uh, three passages last week, uh, with regard to a definition of discipleship. One was Acts 14, Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 23. I'm not going to read that again, but the gist of it is this. Uh, Luke says that after they had preached the gospel and made many disciples. So it starts with preaching the gospel, right? When When does someone become a disciple? After they come to Christ. After they come to Christ, right? So someone becomes a disciple of Jesus at the moment of their conversion. There is an idea in our culture that to be a Christian, you just kind of accept Jesus. And then, maybe later, you can become a disciple. That would be a good idea, but you don't have to. Is that you think that's true? No. The Bible uses the word Christian and disciple synonymously. To be a Christian is to be a disciple and vice versa. Okay? So we become Christians, or disciples, through hearing the gospel and responding in faith, following after Jesus. So it begins, step one then, is evangelism. But then Acts 14 says that they had, it were encouraging them to continue in the faith and planted elders in every church. So that involves follow-up, instruction, and it takes place best in the context of a local church, right? <coughs> And then we looked at Matthew 28. Go back to Matthew 28. I do want to look at that passage one more time. Matthew 28. Chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. This is what uh, most of us know as the Great Commission. Matthew 28. And I want to start in verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. And uh, this Great Commission is a, is a mission of discipleship. And there's four things I want us to see. First of all, I want us to notice the prerequisite for discipleship. Before you can do discipleship, before you can make disciples, there's something that has to happen for you. Verse 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, 
but some were doubtful. Before the apostles could ever go out and make disciples, they had to encounter the risen Christ. They had to know Christ. They had to be worshipers of Christ themselves. So the prerequisite for discipleship then is that we be following Jesus, that we experience Christ, that we know Christ, and that we worship Christ. But then there's the authority of the Great Commission. The authority. Verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. The authority for the Great Commission is the Lordship of Christ. You have some people who, I've heard people say this, before you share the gospel with a non-believer, you have to earn the right to be heard. Have you ever heard that? You don't have to earn the right to be heard. You have already been given the right by the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. You don't need any other right. Christ has given you the right to tell everybody about the gospel. So Jesus is Lord, but also that means we need to be obedient to this commission because it's a command from the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. This is not the great suggestion. This is the great commission. It is a command from the Lord of heaven and earth. But then thirdly, you see the elements of discipleship. The elements of discipleship. Look at verse 18. There's really three steps to this. Step one is what we could call evangelism. And it's summed up in that word go in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples. Literally in the Greek it can be rendered having gone. It's just an assumption. You can't make disciples if you sit at home and read your books in your library. right? You've got to go into the world with the gospel and proclaim the gospel to non-believers. So it begins with evangelism. But then, there's the importance of the local church. There's church membership. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this takes place in the context of a local church. We preach the gospel, non-believers are converted, and then we encourage them to be baptized and come into the membership of a local church where the third step takes place, and that's what we could call discipling or teaching. Verse 19 again. Or verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Okay, so three steps. Go, evangelism. Baptize, church membership, discipling or teaching teach believers in the context of a local church how to follow after Christ. And then finally, the power of the Great Commission. The power. Where do we get the strength and the power to carry this mission out? Do we do it in our own strength? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, right? And even in this verse, it's actually the indwelling Christ. Look at verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is promising His disciples that until the end of the age, until He returns, He is going to be indwelling His people, strengthening them and empowering them to carry out the Great Commission. So that's what it is to make disciples. That's uh, what our mission is as the church, as Christians, to make disciples. But then we also considered last week the question of how do we do this? Practically speaking, in the context of discipling other Christians, what, what does this look like? How can we best disciple other believers? What are some ideas you have? How can we best disciple other believers? What are some ways that we can build relationships with God's people and disciple them? Going through God's Word together. So maybe we'll meet, have a formal time of meeting and studying the Word of God together. Okay. What else? What are some other ways we can build relationships with believers and disciple them? Okay, so just... Trying to find scripture that would help. 
So you might just be at church on a Sunday afternoon after service and just ask somebody how their life's going. You know, what's, what's going on? They're struggling, and you speak the Word of God to them. You apply a verse from Scripture to their circumstance. Good. What else? We might have people over to our house for a meal, right? Hospitality. That, is a, that provides wonderful avenues for ministry. Open up your home, have a meal with people, get to know them, get to speak the Word of God to them. That's a very, very, very effective means of ministry. Last week I suggested a few ways. Uh, number one is one-on-one. One way you can disciple believers is you can meet together one-on-one. Uh, you might read a book together, you might read a book of the Bible together or whatever. Uh, a second option is discipleship groups. Discipleship groups. That's a group of three to five Christians, a closed group, gender-specific, where believers meet and just build deep relationships around the Word of God. Study the Scripture together. And again, it could be a book. It could be a book of the Bible. It could be a discipleship manual that's made for that specific purpose. Uh, The one I use is Fundamentals of the Faith by John MacArthur. 13 Lessons on Growing in the Grace and Knowledge of Jesus. Very good. And I I try to teach those I'm discipling to then go and teach others as well. So you got one-on-one, you got discipleship groups. The third option is Bible studies. Maybe a bigger group. Maybe on Thursday night you might have a group over your home and study the Scripture together. What we do on Wednesday night is discipleship, right? We come together, we, we share our prayer request, we hear the Word, we sing, we fellowship together. Another means is preaching and teaching. What, what's happening now, what's happening for the service, that's going to be discipleship. The Word of God is being taught and people are learning the truth of Scripture. And last week I gave you the illustration of concentric circles. Four concentric circles. If you think of Jesus' ministry, Jesus, you can draw a big circle. He ministered to the masses. You see the circle there? Caitlin's having time, having problems seeing it. So Jesus ministered to the masses. He preached in the open air. He preached the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, at one point, he fed a big crowd. How many people was in that crowd? Actually, he did it twice. Five thousand. Five thousand. Plus men, I mean women. Too. Plus women and children. That could have been a fifteen thousand people crowd. That's how big the crowd was. So Jesus taught the masses. But then you can draw a smaller circle inside the big circle. This represents the next kind of level of Jesus' ministry. Jesus also had disciples that He poured Himself into. A a larger group of disciples. He had the 70. Think of the 70 He sent out to go into the towns two by two. So Jesus ministered in a more deep, profound level to His disciples. But then you draw a third circle inside. This represents another level of the ministry of Christ. Jesus went really deep with the twelve. Right? He spent most of His three-year ministry with them, specifically the end of it. Uh, he, he poured Himself into those twelve for about three years. Then you draw one more circle, if you have any room left. That represents the three, Peter, James, and John. Those three were even more intimately acquainted with Jesus. Anytime you find Jesus alone with just a few of the apostles, it's always those three. The Mount of Transfiguration, and throughout the Gospels, we see that those three accompany Jesus when the others do not at times. So that's kind of Jesus' you know, if we want to be faithful disciple makers, where do you think we should get our method from? Jesus. Jesus. We should emulate Jesus. This is what Jesus did. No one has ever impacted the world like Jesus, and this was his method to do it. Preach to the masses, have a group of people you fellowship with, 
then a group you go really deep with, and then a really small group that you go very deep with. And Paul followed the same method. Right? You think of Paul. You, do you think Paul, that first circle, do you think he preached to the masses? Yeah. Yeah. We find Paul in Athens <clears throat> preaching in the Areopagus. We find him in, in the marketplaces reasoning every day with those who happen to be there. What about the next circle? Do you think Paul had a group of believers that he fellowshiped with and ministered to, a large group? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he planted lots of churches, wrote lots of letters, was always in fellowship with God's people. The church of Antioch sent him out. That's right. So he had fellowship with the church of Antioch. They sent him out. Planted several churches in the Gentile region. Then if you draw that third circle, you think Paul had a group of people that he was really, really went deep with over the course of his ministry? Yeah. I mean, you think of the end of Colossians and all those names we saw. I mean, these men were really dear to Paul. But then if you draw that final circle, you think of men like Timothy and Titus. Paul seemed to have a really deep relationship. Called them... He called them his sons in the faith. They were his protégés, his students. And so that should be our method to some degree. We should seek to share the gospel with everyone we come into contact with, as often as we can. We should have fellowship with our, all the believers in our local church and with God's people in general. But we should also have groups of people that we go deep with, maybe discipleship groups or just discipling relationships. And then maybe there's going to be one or two Christians in your life over the course of your life, that you're really going to go deep with, train, spend much time with, and try to reproduce yourself in them. But that was Jesus' method, it was Paul's method, and I think it should be our method as well. Uh, I gave you four uh, steps. Lance Quinn said we should get our method from Jesus, and he gave four steps that Jesus followed. Number one was prayerful meditation, right? Jesus prayed all night before selecting the twelve. Prayerful meditation. Number two after you spend time praying about whom you're going to disciple like Jesus did. Number two is careful selection. Careful selection. The text says that Jesus called to Himself those whom He wanted. It was the twelve. So prayerful meditation, careful selection, and then thirdly, purposeful association. Purposeful association. It says that He chose them that they might be with Him. That they might be with Him. Jesus wanted to do life with His disciples. He wanted them to be with Him when He did ministry, when He prayed, when He suffered. They they learned how to suffer well. They learned how to pray. They learned how to do ministry. How? By watching Jesus. Watching Jesus. So three is purposeful association. Purposeful association. And four is powerful proclamation. You're fast. Powerful proclamation. It says that He wanted them to be with Him so that He might send them out to preach. Right? That's what He did. Right? He, he preached before them and then later He sent them out to do the very thing He was doing. Okay? So those are the four steps. Pray about whom you're going to disciple. Carefully select a few people. You can't disciple the whole world. Right? So you have to choose. You have to carefully choose people that are committed, people that have similar schedules, uh, things like that. You need to choose carefully. Thirdly, you need to spend time together. Rub elbows together. Iron sharpening iron. Do life together. And then finally, have the end goal that they would go out and do the same thing. They would be making disciples themselves. Alright, so this is a question we did not get to last time. Any any thoughts, comments, or questions so far? 
There's a lot. We just got started. Buckle down. There's a lot more to go. We only got an hour and a half left, so. Can you the circle thing? You said, like, concentric Concentric circles? What is that? It's just like a circle with a circle inside a circle. That's a big one. And your mom's got, uh, your mom, I think your mom wrote it down, so you could probably get it from her. <laughs> All right, so. Here's the next question. Why is discipling so important? Why is discipling so important? Why, you know, because there is not a culture of discipleship in most churches. In most churches, you know, people come on Sunday, some, you know, maybe Wednesday, and you know, forget about evangelism. You know, about about 99% of the church shows up on Sunday. About 60% shows up on Wednesday. About 25 shows up to a prayer meeting. And then about 0.5 show up for an evangelistic meeting, right? That's kind of the statistics. But uh, why is it important that we do more than just come on Sunday, maybe have some superficial relationships? Why, why is it important that we do more than that? Because it helps you grow as a Christian. Right. So we're stunting our own growth, if that's all we do, right? We stunt our own spiritual growth. Okay? It's like me when I don't, I, I eat all the fast food but not the healthy food, right? I'm stunting. Actually, I'm not stunting my growth. I think I'm accelerating it. <laughs> In the wrong direction. In the wrong direction, that's right. What else? We effectively reach more people. Amen. We can reach more people. It's a multiplication thing, right? Think about this. You choose three other Christians and say, you know what, for the next year, I'm going to meet with them every week. We'll read a book of the Bible together, read books together. Maybe we'll work through a, a discipleship manual together. We'll take turns leading the group so each of us are learning. And then in a year, each of us go and start a new group of three or four people. In a year, you go from four to 16 people in discipling relationships, right? And in a church our size, that's about all we need, and we're there. <laughs> There's a culture of discipleship. So <clears throat> we're able to reach more people, right? What else? Why is discipling so important? Any other thoughts? It would be obedience to the Lord's Word. Amen. We are commanded by God to do this, right? Making disciples, everyone has their role to play, right? Not everyone's called to baptize, right? But everyone's called to be involved in the process. Not everyone's called to stand on the street corner and preach the gospel. But every, Ian, I think he is. But not everyone's called to do that, but everyone is called to share the gospel with their neighbor. Not everyone's called to stand in the pulpit and preach and to teach, but every believer is called to share the truth that they've learned with other believers, right? And to do this in the context of a local church and relationship. So it's obedience to the command of God. Any other thoughts? You never know the future of that person that you're talking to. Your teaching. That's true. Somebody led D.L. Moody to Christ. Somebody led... Billy Graham to Christ. Amen. Exactly. So think about it. never knew at the time that there was going to be a big result. Amen. Very good point. I mean, if you think about Jesus, He pours into the twelve, the twelve go, and on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are brought into the kingdom through the apostles that Jesus discipled, right? So who knows how the Lord's going to use you investing in someone else to reach the world for the glory of Christ, right? So we're reproducing ourselves in others. Very good point. Any other thoughts on why discipling is so important? That way you can know <coughs> the church better and you can know 
how to help someone if they are hurting or how to help someone they're going through a time. Amen. So we need to build deep relationships. We want to know the people in our church and churches. We don't just want to you know, know their name and, and know where they sit on Sunday. We want to know what they're struggling with so we can help them. We can pray specifically for them, right? We want to help them. We want to influence them. We want to love them and help them to grow in their faith. Good. All right, now let me ask you this question. What are some biblical goals for discipleship? Let's just say you, you, pick, you go out today and you pick two or three Christians. You say, I'm going to start meeting with these, these believers for a year. What are some of the goals you should have biblically as you set out, set out to do that? What are some goals for discipleship? Good thing we don't have crickets in there. I think to go deep into the Word together. I know. And talk about what it says. Not just read it, but actually meditate on it and talk about what it says. Amen. So the Word of God has to be central, right? If you want people to grow, you don't just want to sit around and talk about your life, right? That, there's a part of that. We want to be transparent, accountable, confess our sins, stuff like that. But we've got to be, go beyond just worldly affairs. We've got to move into the realm of God's Word because the Word of God is the means by which He saves and sanctifies us. So if you want a fruitful discipling ministry, the Word of God has to be central. Are you missing something? No. Okay, good. Anyone else? What are some goals for discipleship? Well, your first goal should always be to glory, glorify Lord's name. Amen. Amen. So the ultimate chief end of anything we do, including discipling, is the glory of God, right? The glory of God. Romans 11, from Him, through Him, to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, right? So the glory of God, good. Any other thoughts on some goals for discipling? You can help them to grow, but they can help you to grow. Amen, right? So spiritual growth, not only for them, but also for you. We have to avoid this uh, prideful way of thinking that I'm the discipler, they're the disciple, they've got to learn, I've got nothing to learn. I'm just a teacher, right? There, there might be relationships where someone's primarily the discipler, the other one's more the disciple. That's true. But even in that case, there's something we can learn, right? Paul was encouraged by God's people. I mean, the great apostle was encouraged by just ordinary believers. And if he can be encouraged and built up in the faith by them, we can by each other, right? If we don't have anything left to learn, then we're dead. That's right. If we don't have anything left to learn, we're, we're in glory, aren't we? <laughs> That's true. Well, different people have different experiences that they've gone through that they can help the other. That's true. I know. Maybe someone maybe suffered... somebody's sick. Maybe somebody else had rebellious children. And then they're going... You know, the other one's going through the same thing that the, that the one... Yeah. Very good point. You learn from their mistakes, from their su successes. And so, yeah, that's a very good point. Hi, Mom. Did you have something to say? I thought you were trying to say something. Oh, no. All I said was for such a time as this. Oh, uh, rebellious children? No. I didn't do it. <laughs> we won't mention any names. Oh. Uh, you have some other random child I don't know about? 
All right, let me enumerate eight goals for you that I have here. <clears throat> Number one, salvation. Salvation. Now, let me, let me uh, caveat it with this. When you enter into discipling relationships and discipling groups, the primary goal is believers growing. Not, so you're not trying to disciple a goat into a sheep. Okay? There is a place for evangelistic Bible studies with non-believers, but I'm talking about choosing real Christians to disciple them, be discipled by them, and grow in your faith together. Okay? But it's just going to work out where sometimes you enter into a discipling relationship with someone and maybe they're not saved. They seem to be saved, they're not, and hopefully through the process they learn of their spiritual plight and come to know Christ genuinely. So first then is salvation. And following that same line of thinking, number two is assurance. Assurance. We not only want those we disciple to be saved, we want them to be, know they are saved and have a biblical reason to believe they are. Right? We want them to have biblical assurance. And the book of 1 John is a wonderful book for that, and that's why we're going through that on Sunday morning uh, for the Lord's Day. So we'll talk more about assurance later. Number three. If I'm just giving you words here, I'll give you this one. Theology. Theology. We want those we disciple to be theologically sound. We want them to understand the teaching of the Scripture. That word theology scares us a lot, doesn't it? Theology is an ivory tower job for some monk in a monastery somewhere, right? Just guys who, old dead guys who wrote books. No, the word theology, two words, theos God, logos word. It's just the study of God's word. That's all theology is. Every Christian is a theologian, by the way. You're either a good one or a bad one. But every Christian is a theologian. I probably got that off Sean's Facebook somewhere. (laughs) But every Christian is a theologian. Uh, And the word doctrine is basically a similar word. We get scared of that word. You know, we don't need doctrine, just give me Jesus. But the word doctrine is just the Greek word didache, and it means teaching. teaching. So we're talking about the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches. We need to understand that. We want those we disciple to understand sound theology. Which means if you're discipling, you need to understand what you believe theologically. Right? And not that you're going to force everything you believe on other disciples. Right? I mean, there's room for disagreement on secondary issues. But you need to understand what you believe theologically if you're going to help anyone else come to the truth theologically. So you want them to be theologically sound. And this, this happens together. You want to understand what you believe, but you also need to know why you believe it. You need to be able to defend it. That's right. Yeah. That's a very good point. I know. Or if not, you're just a bunch of people babbling, right? Just espousing your opinion. We need to have chapter or verse, right? And context, right? You must have a shirt that says that. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> so be sound theologically. And if you, if maybe you say to yourself, but I'm not really, I, I'm, I don't know much theology. That's fine. Learn it together in a discipling relationship, right? And then you'll be more accountable and more encouraged and more motivated to study the Word of God. So, theology. Number four, just giving you words here. Number four, prayer. Prayer. You want those you disciple to know how to pray. I do this. I'm in a discipleship group right now with Ian and Gary. Uh, we meet every other Wednesday. We go through Fundamentals of the Faith. And I, w- I want them to know how to pray. So eventually we're going to go through a lesson in the book on prayer. I'm going to present my method of prayer to them. And maybe we'll then pray together. We'll, maybe we'll meet and just have a prayer meeting where I show them how I pray and let them emulate me. So that's how you can teach prayer. So we want those we disciple to know how to pray. Number five. Just words. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how, what word I'll give you here. Uh, Bible. We'll just give you Bible. We want those... We disciple to know how to read and study their Bibles. That involves 
you know, recommending reading plans, giving them hermeneutics, the right principles of interpretation. Uh, it involves uh, talking about context and all, just teach them how to study the scripture and let them watch you study the scripture and, and interpret the scripture. That's one thing that happens on the Lord's day when you watch me preach and you hear me preach the word of God. Hopefully, you see how I interpret the Bible. When I come to a verse and I'm trying to figure out what it means, what do I do? I go all over the Scripture. I let the Scripture interpret the Scripture, right? So that's in a, a hermeneutical principle. So hopefully, as they watch you teach the Word, they learn how to study and teach the Word. Number six, evangelism. Evangelism. We want those we disciple to be equipped and motivated to do the work of evangelism. And to do that, we need to teach them how to evangelize, but we need to go beyond the classroom, right? What's the, how, what's the best way to learn how to do evangelism? Take them to the streets. Go do it, right? So teach them how to do evangelism, and then go do it in front of them and with them so they learn how to do evangelism. Every Wednesday, Gary and Ian go with me to Planned Parenthood or Butternut where the oh. guns are popping and just about anywhere else we go. And they watch me evangelize, and then Ian gets up and he's preaching, and I'm like, man, I just said that. And they're preaching, and they're learning how to evangelize. And so that's how you do it. You teach them how to do it, and then you model it for them, right? Number seven. Number seven. Discipling. Discipling. You want those you disciple to know how to disciple. Right? You want them to know how to disciple other believers. And I think the best way to do that is to meet with them Lead them and then let them have a chance to lead the group. And then after several weeks, they should get the hang of it and eventually they should be able to start a group of their own. So same thing with Gary and Ian. I led the first two lessons. Ian's going to lead our third lesson on the attributes of God. And then the fourth lesson, Gary's going to lead and then I'll lead and we'll all take turns. And in a year, we'll finish up. They'll start a group and do the same thing. And they'll have experience doing it. So you want those you disciple to know how to disciple. And that includes family worship. If you're discipling people who have families... Uh, you hopefully are doing family worship and you want to teach them how to do family worship. One guy that I uh, discipled was a young guy, had young kids. He didn't know anything about family worship, so I had him come over to my house uh, every so often and watch me teach my family in hopes that he would learn how to do that as well. So we want to teach those we disciple how to disciple. And then number eight, this is kind of a culmination of it all, a summary. Maturity. Maturity. The ultimate goal is that those we disciple would be mature in Christ. Go uh, to go to Colossians one. Colossians one. We're going to start an exposition of Colossians all over again. Colossians one. As you're turning there, I'll read Galatians four nineteen to you. Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul saw those whom he was discipling like little children to him, his spiritual children, and he labored and worked hard for their maturation in Christ. Now go to Colossians 1, and I want to read verses 28 and 29. Verse 28, We proclaim Him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. 
So Paul here tells us what his purpose in his discipling ministry is. What is Paul's purpose? What, what, what is the purpose for which he labors? Mature, right? So everyone, that's the word teleos is the word there. It means full grown, perfection. It has the idea of reaching a state of spiritual maturity. There is a sense in which none of us are ever mature. We're always moving on to maturity. But we understand that there is a sense in which Christians do reach a level where we think, you know, they're, they're, they're mature. They've become mature believers. So that was the purpose. And really, you learn four things in this passage about a discipling ministry. First of all, what you learn is that discipleship is costly. Discipleship is costly. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of His body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Paul suffered for discipling and preaching and evangelizing. And there's going to be suffering perhaps for you, especially as our country continues to move further and further in the direction it seems to be going. The, the bolder we stand for the glory of Christ, the more likely it is we're going to experience some degree of suffering. But even if you go down to verse 29, look at that word there. For this purpose, I labor, striving. The word agonizomai there. I agonize. I labor to the point of exhaustion. It's going to be hard work. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you energy. Uh, think about it. You work a full-time job. You get off. You want to go home and sit on the sofa, but now you've got a discipleship group this evening. Right? I mean, it, it, takes, it costs time. It costs money. It costs energy. It's hard work. Discipling is costly. But number two, discipleship has in mind the benefit of others. Discipleship has in mind the benefit of others. Verse uh, 25. Paul says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. So Paul labored in the ministry for whose benefit? His own? Well, the benefit of the church. God's people, right? So when we disciple, of course we, we want to grow too, but we're thinking about how we can help other Christians grow in the faith. But then number three, not only is discipleship costly, and not only does it have in mind the benefit of others, but it's, as we mentioned earlier, it centers on the Word of God. Discipleship centers on the Word of God. Look at verse 25 again. Paul says, Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. Verse 26, That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to His saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, we proclaim Him. Paul's ministry, at the very center of it, was the proclamation of the Word of God. So again, if we want to have fruitful discipling relationships and discipleship groups, what has to be the center of it? God and His Word, right? The Scripture. And notice what this teaching involves, this proclamation. Verse 28. We proclaim Him... So who's the subject of our teaching? Christ. 
the person, the work, and the glory of Jesus is always the primary subject of our teaching. So we proclaim Him. Now there's two aspects to this proclamation. Admonishing every man and teaching every man. Admonishing and teaching. What does it mean to admonish? Admonish. We ever use that word in our regular conversations? I wasn't having my hand up. Oh, you're forced to have your hand up. Kind of. Gotcha. What uh, what does the word admonish mean? Warning. warning. Right? So it has the idea of warning, uh, and encouraging by warning is the idea. So we need to warn. We need to set out the warnings of Scripture. When we find someone we're discipling in sin, what do we do? We just let them, let them be? No. Show tolerance? No. Love is love? No. No, we, we love them and so we confront them, right? Yes. Confront them. But then also teaching. The idea, the word there means to disseminate information, to cause to learn. So we want to help people learn the truth. We warn them of error and sin, and we teach them the biblical truth. That's with all wisdom. And then finally, the fourth part of discipleship is that we need to realize that it demands purposeful labor. We work hard, but we do it with a purpose, and the purpose is the maturity of the saints, that God's people would be mature. So that's, uh, those are some goals for discipleship. Those are eight goals there. Um, that's if all the time. If you're looking for a word for what Sean was saying, apologetics. There you go, apologetics. Able to support why you believe the Amen. So you can defend the faith, you can uh, attack and destroy and dismantle error. Good. I know. So that's all the time we have for, for this morning. So before we close this... Any final questions, thoughts, comments? I think you went through the Colossians chapter 1 very fast. Much faster than I did last time. I think we went through that passage in three weeks last time. Uh, I figured you got it. You just needed to be slightly reminded. That's it. Any other questions or thoughts on the topic of discipling? Caitlin's questions usually center around a note she didn't get, so looks like she's got them all. All right, so discipling, following Jesus, helping others follow Jesus for the goals of salvation, assurance, maturity, and so forth. Uh, next week we'll finish up. We can get uh, some more issues with the discipleship. But my encouragement to you is that you would put this into practice. May you be a Christian that makes disciples. Are, let me ask it this way. Are there people in your life right now that you're in a discipling relationship with? If not, we should fix that, right? We should try. How do, how do you do that? Pray and then think carefully over a group of people and then say, okay, maybe this person. And then just ask them, hey, would you be willing to meet with me every week or every other week to study a book with me or study the Bible with me or go through this discipleship manual with me? And then if they say yes, just do it. And then in God's gracious providence, you can expect right. Okay. All right, so next week we'll finish looking at the topic of discipleship. And as I told you in the beginning, this was not going to go according to plan, and so we have at least two weeks left on this series. So we'll see if we ever get finished. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank You for this time this morning of talking about such an important topic. I pray that as a church, we would be a church that makes disciples as we already are, but that we would excel more and more, that each of us would be individuals that are in deep discipling relationships with the other of God's people, 
so that we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus together and helping others follow after Christ. Lord, I pray that that would be the culture of our church and that you would use our church for the glory of your name. To which end we pray. Amen.